You are listening to episode 60 with Dr. Jackie Lambiase and Dr. Laura Bright, professors at the Bob Schieffer College of Communication at Texas Christian University. This episode is brought to you by Rogue Water, the public communication company founded by yours truly, the H2 Duo. Hi, this is Glenn Griffin, Associate Professor of Advertising at the University of Colorado in Boulder. This is the podcast that is demonstrating the power of creativity and collaboration in the water sector. It's water in real life with my friends, the H2 duo, Stephanie Zavala and Ariane Shipley. So what does it mean to go rogue? It means you know we've got some serious challenges facing the water industry, but you're ready and willing to do things differently than the way we've always done them. Why? to build the bridges necessary between our industry and the people we serve to move things forward. At Rogue Water, we work with you to provide the strategy, content, and resources you need to effectively communicate with your customers so that you can work together to provide sustainable clean water services and to create healthy communities. Are you ready to go rogue? Find out more at roguewatergroup.com. Today we chat with two amazing women that are definitely mentors for us in the communication world. We recorded this episode a while ago, so actually Dr. Laura Bright is leaving TCU, my alma mater, to return to Austin at the University of Texas and join the team there, which is her alma mater. So normally I'd be super sad, but she's joining Catalyst 2019 speaker Ryan Romero, so I uh, feel like we just got more excuses to go hang out in Austin. Anyway, I digress. Uh, So we talk about a number of things, including executive presence. So just like creativity, leadership isn't magic. And studying executive presence helps better define the attributes anyone can build and develop to become better leaders. We also talk about creating a connection culture and why that's so important to the brand ambassadors you create in your organization and the messaging they deliver to customers and the public at large. We end by discussing the serious subject of crisis communication. Having a plan is not enough. As with anything else, practice makes perfect. So, so much more, but you'll just have to keep listening. This episode's takeaways are like Pokemon, y'all. Gotta get them all. So, without further ado, let's get to the show. Dr. Jackie Lambiase and Dr. Laura Bright are professors in the Bob Schieffer College of Communication at TCU. Together, they direct the Certified Public Communicator Program at TCU, now in its seventh year. Since 2010, Jackie has consulted with or spoken to groups about earning their share of discussion in social media and public relations opportunities, including talks to the Texas Association of Municipal Information Officers, Lockheed Martin, and the U.S. Department of Labor, among others. Dr. Bright's research focuses on social media addiction and fatigue, big data and personalized advertising, and citizen engagement online. She also consults various companies and organizations on optimizing their digital presence. For more information, please visit www.brightwoman.com or follow her on Twitter at lbright. Well, after all the heckling, it's so excited. <laughs> it's so exciting to have you guys here. <laughs> Actually, exciting for us to be here at TCU. Ooh, yeah, and they they joined us. Oh, that's right. Normally, yeah, it, we're excited to be here, ladies. Thank In you for taking life. time out of your busy busy schedules to spend with us. Thanks for having us. Yes, excited to talk to you guys. You can follow me on Twitter at, at @lambiase. See, you forgot See, her. It she wasn't won. in the bio she sent me. <laughs> Golly. We'll, we'll add the, all that. Yeah, we'll have all the contact information for Jackie, Laura, TCU, the Bob Schieffer College of Communication, <laughs> CPC, yeah, all, all that. that. Show notes. Um, well, yeah, uh, it's pretty full circle for us to be here um, with you ladies. We brag all the time about the Certified Public Communicator Program here at TCU, and it's it's not lip service. Um, we really wouldn't be sitting here without the knowledge and mm-hmm. the skills that we learned through that program. And those three letters. Those three letters. We get three letters behind our names, too, now. Mm-hmm. Yay. <laughs> so give us a little backstory on why that program was developed and why it's important for city communicators. Well, we have been in a long relationship with the Texas Association of Municipal Information Officers. And uh, I began speaking to that group probably over 10 years ago. And when I was in conversation with a couple of its members, they were kind of lamenting the fact that municipal communicators do not have a certificate program like a lot of other city workers. Mm -hmm. And so we started a conversation with them about how perhaps we could think about 
a specialized program for, for municipal and any public sector communicators. And I asked Laura if she might be interested in working with me on it, and she luckily said yes, mm -hmm. and we began the program in 2013. So really enjoyed working with this group of people, learned a lot more about it than we knew at the beginning, and now feel like we really are being so much help, more helpful than maybe we were at the very beginning when we were just sort of getting into it. So we loved this group of people. Um, I actually attended, I, Stephanie, <laughs> I attended CPC because I had just come out of a situation where I felt like me being on the water side and uh, the city communication folks on that side were not speaking the same language or didn't have the same expectations or outcomes. And that's kind of a feeling that we hear echoed at some of the meetings that we go to with water educators, but that frustration can also be heard um, from the PIO communicator side. So like, how can we be doing a better job at getting us on the same page? Because ultimately when we're working for a city, we're all on the same team. Well, I think the team part is a really good aspect to think about and having those open communication channels so that everyone, instead of folks hiding kind of what they're doing for their jobs and um, the different areas that they're responsible for being more open about that. So everyone has a really clear path about what they're doing. Um, in your example, you know, the water department knows what communication they're responsible for. The same as the city and having that open flow of communication between those two so that instead of maybe duplicating work or having a situation where one team is not understanding what's going on with another, you have that open flow. And like you said, you're working towards this ultimate goal of informing citizens. And so it's not about who gets to communicate. It's about making the most effective communication between the two groups instead. Yeah. And for me, what I found in going through the CPC program was kind of that we really were speaking a different language. Even though we were saying the same thing, we kind of used different words to say it or, or how those different outcomes. And so that was one of the biggest takeaways for me from the program, not being a formal communicator mm -hmm. or PIO, was learning that language and learning where they were coming from. And I think that the, the reverse also happened because I know that um, one of our class members, give a shout out to Jay Warren, who's with the city of Arlington, um, even in conversations with him, he was like, oh, I, I'd never thought about that that way with our water department. And so um, it was really a, a cool experience for us to kind of get more into that world and learn more of that so we could essentially get more done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, shifting to a more organization context, can a culture of communication grow from the bottom up or is it really something that needs to come up, come from the top to set the example? I mean, I think all of this is a question of leadership, and sometimes the leader is not the person who has the management title behind their name. Mm -hmm. And so when you have a lot of external communicators who are speaking outbound to external audiences, mm -hmm. they're not thinking about the internal piece and the culture that they're cultivating inside their organization. And so I think it's really important for somebody to say, how can we get together in a better way? It might not be the city manager or the head of a department it might be somebody within within a company or within a within a division of a company and so um, sometimes it just you need to work on your internal communication first your outbound can't be very good unless the internal is better yeah. and then part of that internal communication piece is of course building a great culture within which you can work uh, together on all kinds of initiatives and not be in your silo and silence and uh, not having a lot of great communication inside the organization. Yeah, I think that same flow that we were talking about between the water department and just standard mm -hmm. uh, city communicators, you need that same flow within your team, yeah. right? So that people feel comfortable to speak up about concerns they have or if they have a great idea, a great leadership right. idea, they feel empowered to be able to do that versus this top-down kind of hierarchy where it's like you know the boss has all the ideas and they're 
the ones implementing everything right. instead have that open transparent level of communication on the team so that people feel empowered to actually create and sustain that culture mm-hmm. yeah and that was something that I feel like we kind of learned um, firsthand by actually screwing up and and not focusing on the internal communication first and um, we were focusing so much of our efforts on getting the story or yeah getting the story essentially out to the public and realized that we made no impact on our people internally because we had hadn't taken the time to communicate them I guess the why of why we were doing what we were doing and asking them to do the things that they were doing and it was really an eye-opening experience for us and and we we were like, wow, okay, so once this is done and behind us, the next project we start, we need to make sure that we start internally. I yeah. mean, Well, I think that speaks also to something that we try to teach in the CPC program, which is getting the buy-in from your organization. So yeah. once you develop your communication plan here, you then have to go sell it within your organization. But the same holds true for these other activities we're doing uh, where you've got to be able to get people on board and get them excited about it because once that excitement's there, mm-hmm. then when it's time to do the hard work, they're more willing to put it in versus a situation where they're saying, well, I have no idea what's, what the point of this is, so right. why am I going to invest my time? Right. Yeah, and, and well, your field people or your employees that are out there every single day are are the ones that are actually interacting with your customers. And so do you know what they're saying to your customers? I mean, do you, have they been trained on what to say? Do they know the story? Do they know the right story? Um, Because in a lot of cases, that's, you're the, you're the first impression for your utility and what kind of impression are you making? And I don't think that there's, there's always enough, um, time spent on on communicating that to the the folks out there on the front lines of in the field if you will because it's just they're like oh they're doing their job but those are the people who people are stopping and saying what's going on in my neighborhood and you know and what answer are they getting so or what answer are they getting when you're calling up to start new service and you just move to the community is it welcoming (laughs) is it does it is it make you happy to be moving to that community so it all comes down to just the importance of that internal communication um you touched a little bit on the idea of a leadership and not necessarily that in everyone who's a leader has that management in their title but what is this, what is the idea of executive presence? Like, what does that mean and how can you identify it? I think executive presence is simply what a person is like as a leader and what do they seem to be like? What are perceptions of them as a leader? And so I think in the past, people have seen leadership as this mysterious thing that just sort of happens inside a person without much cultivation. They either have it or they don't. Mm-hmm. And so I think the concept of executive presence is a way to break down the attributes of good leaders. And so a book that I would highly recommend is is written by Suzanne Bates in in 2016. So it's a fairly current book. And it's called All the Leader You Can Be, but it's also, or All the Leader You Can Be, but it's also about executive presence. And she breaks it out through research what attributes are identified by employees Mm -hmm and workers for the leaders they're following. Mm-hmm. And so she quantifies the most important attributes so that you can focus on them and cultivate them in yourself so that you can identify them in others and help mentor them and help them get better. And so um, I think it's really useful to think about the concept of what is your presence across an organization in terms of how you deal with people, how you make decisions, what your subject matter expertise is in and how you uh, communicate that to other people. All those kinds of things um, are judged by the people working for you. And, you know, of course, one of the critical attributes, I think, is listening. It's not one of the specific ones that she talks about, but it's embedded inside of some of the characteristics that she's identified. Well, That's an amazing segue. I appreciate that segue. (laughs) Um, We have a friend, her name's Tia Lebhairs from CalWEP, and she said how she likes to follow the 80-20 rule, where she spends 80% of her time listening when she's she's networking and only 20% of the time talking. 
So how important is cultivating the skill of listening? Very. (laughs) Right. You know, everybody jokes about you have two ears and one mouth, and so that's a a ratio that we're given as humans. But um, I think that, um, you know, we know from all kinds of research that the best leaders are also seen as good listeners, that that's an attribute that's mentioned by people over and over again. And so uh, I think what it means is that you're not just directing people to do things, but that you're collaborating with them. And the only way that you can collaborate is to listen. Well, and I think too, when you're listening, it's important to actually listen versus think about what you're going to say back to the person when they're done talking. Um, and you can tell when people are, are doing that. I am for a looking right at you, Ariane. Uh, no. But, uh, you know, really doing the work to hear what they're saying versus just coming up with, you know, what's the response that, you know, if you're dealing with a problematic employee, you know, oh, what's the response that's going to get them out of my office? You don't want to be in that mode, right? Instead, you want to be in the mode of taking in, you know, what's their issue? How can I help them with it? What else is going on? And make it more of a listening, coaching moment versus, you know, not wanting to deal with it. Is there a difference between listening and what's called empathetic listening? Is it the same or is that... I think there, I think there is a difference. I mean, I think listening is something that we do hopefully automatically, if we are in an open culture, I think openness is listening. But I think empathetic listening is actually taking um, a little bit deeper step into somebody else's world Mm -hmm. and trying to figure out where they stand. And even if you can't stand there yourself for very long, you can join them for a brief moment and at least get some insight into why they're feeling the way they're feeling and then hopefully make a pivot to a position where you both can stand either more closely together or in a different spot perhaps than you've been standing before. That's awesome. I think that instead of just focusing on asking people what issues they're passionate about but asking them more of why because finding out why people feel or believe a certain way it just helps you get more perspective and you may not agree or just you know you may not agree with their position but at least you have a better understanding of why they feel that way and to me that just kind of adds more humanity which we could use right now (laughs) um how do executive presence and listening work hand in hand to um enhance the internal work culture you kind of touched on culture a little about a little bit in the beginning i think i think people want to work in a space where they feel valued. And so I think part of executive presence and listening are uh, some of the ingredients that you need for this wonderful connection culture where people wanna come to work, where they feel connected to coworkers, where they feel connected to the mission of the organization they're working for, where they um, feel like that they can make a difference, where they have a sense of belonging. I think all of those things are the ingredients for the best work cultures and the best um, way to build great brand ambassadors for your organization. So if you're going to send out people who are reading water meters or doing all kinds of other Mm -hmm. things for the companies or organizations they're working for, if they feel connected, if they feel valued, then they too will do sort of extra role behaviors on behalf of their employer. Yeah, we we spoke to um, someone, she, her name's Channon Bays, and she's in the Pacific Northwest side of town. And she was talking about, <laughs> of America, and she was talking about how she doesn't have one or two educators or communicators. She has like 140 yeah. brand, you know, brand ambassadors, basically, and that's, that's an important role that she makes um, them, you know, everyone in their in their department aware of what's going on in their their county because um, she's like why not you know I mean they're they're out there every day yeah. you know from the advertising side of things you're much more likely to trust a product or service recommendation right. from a friend or someone maybe in your neighborhood or right. a fellow citizen than you are from the actual corporation mm-hmm. right so having those brand ambassadors out in the field mm-hmm. 
allows you to have, I think, that more intimate connection between the city or water utility, yeah. whatever it is, and the citizens that you're yeah. dealing it's with. It's pretty like common sense that the more the employee is invested into their own job and they're they're proud of the city they work for, um, that when they are at home and their neighbors are asking them about their water utility, they may not be in the water utility billing section, but that person is more likely to speak well about it and um, really try to listen to that person's point of view and then do something, take action with it, instead of just saying, yeah, well, that's utility billing, who cares, you know, that's them, I'm not going to deal with this, so... I think there needs to be – I think we do. We as an industry do a good job at um, embracing the excitement and the passion and the hype um, at a certain level and beyond. But I don't feel like we do a good enough job instilling that in the people that are doing mm-hmm. the dirty work every day. Yeah. And, um, and it's a shame because – these are the ones that are doing some of the work that really matters, and yet they may have like no idea the the value of that. And I feel like that's a a space I wish we could like, we could fill. Um, or yeah. Uh, so communicators are familiar with the idea of inbound and outbound channels when communicating with customers or or with the public in general. But what do inbound and outbound channels look like internally for an organization? Well, I, to me, in terms of outbound, if you think about how you communicate with your employees, um, you're doing that a lot through email, through meetings, through text messaging, maybe through phone calls, through one-on-one sessions. So you're a pretty standard group of things. Um, and then for inbound, I would imagine it's the same kind of set of things, right? Because you really have that flow going back and forth where, right, so I might send out an email to notify everyone that a certain event's happening, and then I get that inbound response from Mm -hmm. that, right? Um, So I think that kind of flows both ways. Um, Another one that I know is popular with larger organizations is having an intranet Mm -hmm. or maybe using a platform like Slack uh, mm-hmm. where folks are interacting there or maybe it's interacting through a Facebook group or something along those lines. Hmm. Is it safe to say, I'm going rogue for a second, Okay. is it safe to say that if you're, let's say you're the director and you're not getting that inbound communication back, um, that there's a problem that you need to go address it and, you know, somewhere down the line there's some kind of disconnect between you and that employee? Because... I mean, I think the answer is yes, but I'm just saying, like, I just want you to talk on that. Like, yeah, it's hard to recognize that mm-hmm. I'm not getting, I'm putting this out there on the board that I need volunteers for this event and I'm getting no response. Well, you, like, can't, right. sit, you can't sit in your office and wait on somebody to respond. Mm. And so we know that um, employees want to get the most important information from their first line supervisor. Mm-hmm. And that's often face-to-face or in meetings, which people don't want to have, but they're vitally important. So we can't always rely on digital communication because that's not a way to build relationships. And so sometimes you need to maybe go and personally ask somebody to do something, and you may need to see them face-to-face. And so I think um, if you're not getting responses, it's probably because you're disconnected. Yeah. That's a that's a sign of disconnection, and so you need to work on connection again. And, and I think you have to constantly work and cultivate that every day. Well, I love that you talked about, you know, get up out of your office and go and have real conversations with people um, because there's some of the most successful directors that we've met are ones who are, are active like that and who get out of their office and who go take a moment to – check in with their people face-to-face and, and to have those kind of um, face-to-face human <laughs> interactions. Um, and I, I think that oftentimes um, managers are afraid to hold these meetings because they assume that they have to be two hours long and just all over the place. And and they're, they don't need to be that way. You can set a, 
a tight agenda and said like we need to get in and out of this in 30 minutes we're going to cover this if there's any other topics like we can discuss those in another meeting but I feel like so many times that there's this mindset that oh if I have a meeting it has to be this beating and it, and it doesn't have to be like people just need to know that it's your meeting you run it and just be up front and everyone knows what to expect and but get out there face to face and be having those conversations. I think that's really important. Well, that I think also with those face to face conversations, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that gets misinterpreted in an email right. or people are so overloaded with everything else they have going on that their email just stacks up and they don't yep. look at it. And so being able to just go stop by and say, hey, you know, going back to this, like, what's my motivation for doing this? You can explain to them right. what your motivation is, why it matters to you, why you need their help during the event mm -hmm. or whatever it is, I'm if you're sure. trying to recruit. And then they might be more willing to give you a positive response right. because oftentimes with email, it's like, oh, no, send. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you don't get any context with it, yeah. right? So it's yeah. easier to have those conversations. Okay. And if a meeting is longer than an hour then it's a retreat. Ooh. Ooh, can you say that again closer to the mic? <laughs> if a meeting's longer than an hour, it's a retreat. That's my new favorite hashtag. That's, that's, that's a pull-out quote. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. I spent a lot of time in retreats. Then. We did a lot of retreating. Wow. Your sleeping bag if you're doing that. So. <laughs> you, you guys don't even know. Um, we know that we couldn't come here and talk communication with the two of you um, without addressing this ever-important component, measurement. So how can we measure internal communication and what's some of the best things to do once we have measured it? Uh, I would say, and this is the same thing I told you in the CPC program, uh, is just to include those trackable moments in your communication and then actually be good about tracking them once you've included them um, and then come up with some kind of report I mean going back to that example about getting volunteers you know if getting your faculty or staff or whoever it is to volunteer for events is one of your top priorities for the year mm -hmm. then when you send out those emails maybe have a volunteer sign-up page and then look at how many people are actually using that and how much response you're getting mm -hmm. as your measurement. If you don't get anybody, then maybe your messaging is wrong or right. maybe there's another aspect happening. Um, but just thinking about what are the most important things because those goals will hopefully change year over year as you you know, improve your organization? I think probably, you know, getting a benchmark with an employee opinion survey yeah. and see where you're at in terms of employee perceptions of openness and listening and ability to communicate, ability to have hard conversations. Um, I think those are important things to think about. And then once you're in the midst of doing internal communication, then than doing some of the things that Laura has just suggested, along with other measures of engagement mm -hmm. in terms of participation and all kinds of things, whether that's opening and reading email, logging in and spending time on an intranet system, all those kinds of measurements I think are data points that we can use to show whether our workforce is engaged with some of the central ideas and vision for an organization or whether people are kind of in their silos just doing their job. Mm -hmm. What are, this is also a rogue question, what are some of the, what are some examples of ways that companies have kept their mission or vision front and center that's in your research or in your experience have ever made you go, oh wow, that's pretty cool, I never would have thought of that or to do that. Maybe something that's not as, um, you know, we went to go visit one of our friends who works for an engineering firm, and right when you get out of their elevators, they they have their mission statement and their core values right there by the doors as you go in. So any guest sees that. Yeah, yeah so every single guest that comes in sees that, and so that's not, 
mind blowing, you know. I've I've heard of other companies that put that have it on the walls, literally in in some cases. But um, since we t- we've talked a lot about the importance of communicating that mission and vision, I didn't know if there was any examples that you guys have seen that kind of stuck out, or if you have some that you haven't seen but you think are good ideas. I think storytelling around mission and action, and mm-hmm. so how do employees embody the mission when they are delivering customer service or when mm-hmm. they're truly engaged and so can you tell internal stories about those employees when they've gone beyond their normal duties when they have yeah. shown a certain responsibility or um, ethical conduct I think making sure that internal audiences are aware of what those actions look like mm-hmm. and how they might emulate those I think that's super important And so I think that's sort of a living way to show what a mission statement actually means instead of just being words on a wall or words on a website or words on a page. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And and to share those stories, I feel like those stories only get told during award season or award banquets or something where we talk about what people are doing, but to be telling those stories all the time and finding them when you can so that don't just hoard them and save them for this one event that maybe not everyone is at. Yeah. and tell those stories all the time. It's what, that's why awards are problematic. Mm. Oh, Ooh. don't get me started on problematic <laughs> awards. Awards are dumb. Thank you. <laughs> say that. <laughs> <laughs> they, yes. I'm just going to leave that one there. Um, I think you should make oh, her talk more about it. Okay, can you talk more about awards <laughs> being dumb? Why are they problematic? <laughs> Why do you say that, Dr. Lambiase? We spend a lot of time as city government officials, not we now, but we did spend a lot of time filling out applications and, you know, awards. And the only good thing, I think, was that it forced me to measure (laughs) everything I did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, talk more on that. (laughs) Oh, I think, I mean... uh, Why? You know, awards are are what they are, but I think there's maybe too much emphasis on them inside of organizations and especially communication groups in particular. And so I think some of that is vanity. Yeah. And I, I don't understand sometimes why there's so much emphasis on that and why we can't get together for other reasons than having that always have to be part of conferences or organizations that we're part of. There should be good reasons for us to get together and for us to participate other than that. Mm-hmm. And so um, just as somebody who's been watching those award scenes for a long time mm-hmm. and advertising in PR, I'm right. pretty, uh, pretty skeptical and cynical about them, yeah. I would rather, I feel like I would rather, like, go to the conference and instead of having the award show, it's like just a sharing moment where we're all just showing. What are we doing? Like, yeah. I don't care about who wins. I just want to see all the good ideas, yeah. you know, and, like, what was successful and what wasn't successful across like everyone who's in that room not well and I think that's part of the deal with them right it's like a lot of the times they're not measured based on their success or not they're measured based on this was a good creative idea Mm -hmm. which is great and creative ideas are wonderful but did it do what it was supposed to do once it got into the marketplace right right? because there's a big difference between a good idea and something that actually drives sales and gets the job done. And as someone who, like, I'll be honest, I got a lot of awards in the city, but I didn't, like, I was like, meh, I could care less about them, like, because it was just a beating, and it was like, for what? I mean, I'm glad that I got them in order to get a raise, but why did I have to do that in order to get a raise, you know? Couldn't there have been... Well, there. I mean, there's so much the industry standard now, yep, right? And is. so if you don't get an award, then you must not be doing your you're job, not, you which yeah, is not a good nice. spot to be in. Well, one of the uh, attributes of executive presence is humility. I love it. Mm. Yeah, I would love to take the competition out of it and, like you said, just have some kind of forum where we can just share ideas and because there are some people out there that are doing amazing things, and I still want to see those, but I just I don't necessarily need to like see them. And they might have been out doing amazing things when the award application was due. I know. Yeah, yeah. We have to wait a whole nother year. <laughs> 
Okay, let's talk. I feel like we've talked a little bit, a lot about communication and culture, um, but what is the dual nature of communication and how does this impact the culture of an organization? Well, there's two kinds of communication. There's the ones that we've been talking about mostly, which is a message carried through a channel to a receiver. But I think there's also culture, which communicates as well. And so I don't think we can forget the fact that the culture that people are working in is also laden with all kinds of information and communication about that organization. And so, you know, the way that we treat people, the way that every employee helps customers or doesn't, the way that um, people internally deal with one another with civility, all of those things are communicating something about the organization. And so just it's a good um, thing for us to keep both kinds of communication in mind, not just the channel and and sender and receiver, but Mm -hmm. also the fact that culture is a communicator itself. Yeah. Yeah, because when people are happy at work, they they treat the people they interact with better. And I feel like probably some of the organizations or corporations that do have the most um, the strongest brand, um, I don't know what you would call it, just not recognition, but just people who are in love with those brands, there's a good culture there in place in them. And so that kind of it permeates and you can feel it from outside as a customer. Like, wow, that would be someplace I would really like to work. And then it it stinks when it's the opposite and you find out that they're actually complete jerks to their employees and then it makes you never want to do business with them again. So works both ways. Um, so we as an industry, the water industry, we have some major challenges ahead of us. Um, it's important for us to stay in the good graces of the public, which we, of course, can do by being proactive in our communication and being consistent in it. Um But we really need to shine when a crisis happens. And um, I know that you guys have some experience with, uh, that's definitely part of the CPC program and in dealing with crisis and how to be prepared for that. So what are some tips that you can give when facing a crisis, not only for when it's happening, but what they can do ahead of time to be prepared for that? Have a crisis plan. (laughs) Can you say that louder, please? Yeah. Have a crisis plan. (laughs) You know, I think you have to have a plan of some of the bare bones of what you would do when a crisis happens, and then you also have to have an idea of the many choices you're going to have as you deal with every particular crisis that you have. And so I think um, rehearsing and doing tabletop exercises would be incredibly important. I think having some boilerplated or holding statements that you uh, can deliver and modify depending on what you're talking about, but mostly knowing what your choices are and knowing that in the midst of a crisis is also an opportunity for you to begin a discourse of renewal, uh, of, of, so, of organizational learning, things that um, become possible when you are really faced with a crisis mm-hmm. that you don't, you know, become a set in your bunker and defensive, but mm-hmm. open to learning, open to the good things that can also happen as a uh, in, in the wake of a tragedy where you can put down new protocols or build new things or make things better for people. So I think you have to um, sort of have that really wonderful mindset going into it and, and then uh, um, and then follow your plan like Laura says. Yeah. Well, and I think going back to the listening thing, I think it's important to listen during your crisis so that you know, you know, what's coming from your audience, right? What are the fears and concerns that they have and how can you try to alleviate those a little bit? Uh, And really remembering to follow the protocols. It's like, don't get freaked out when you're in a crisis and think that you've got to reinvent the wheel. Like if you have the plan Mm -hmm. and you have the rough protocols for everything, follow those until you can't, maybe. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe you're in a situation that you just didn't think of. Um, but follow those and have your team on board and have that transparent, clear communication about how you're going to operate, I think is key. Well, I was going to say, um, I, one of my favorite things that we kind of did, um, I have a really bad memory, I'll just say that, but what I kind of remember doing is going through and like pointing out which ones are crisis and which ones really aren't, mm. but you feel that they are. You know, and so that to me was really important to go, okay, 
like pinpoint what is actually deemed a crisis and maybe ask your fellow people in other cities, like, would this have been a crisis for you? Or is this just a Facebook troll that we just have to deal with? Or yeah. is this an actual, like, catastrophe? Um, one of the tabletop exercises y'all did with us about the train wreck, like, has stuck with me mm-hmm. all the time. And I'm like, okay, that would be considered a crisis. But so then it's when I'm in the moment or when I was in the moment of, oh, crap, it's like, are we at the train wreck or are we just, like, on the Facebook <laughs> troll world? Like, which level do I really have to... Yeah, so the sky isn't always falling. Yeah. How often do you, would you recommend people be doing those kinds of exercises and yeah. challenge, or those tabletop exercises, or how often should people be re-looking at their crisis plans? At least once a year, I would say. Yeah, at least once a year, maybe more. I think, you know, what are the five most likely crises? And what are the five most devastating? And so I think that may change even over the course of a year, what's most likely or most devastating, depending on circumstances in your industry or circumstances in your geographical area. And so you may need to drill on some of those internal crises that are caused by fraud or uh, malfeasance by an employee uh, versus an external uh, threat like a hurricane or something like that. So... I think you know you might want to drill on a couple of different kinds of crises a couple of times a year, and also make sure the team knows who the, each other is. So that's back to that internal communication piece. So, how do you get in touch with people? Can, do you have updated list? And I think somebody needs to be reviewing that as frequently as they can, maybe quarterly, just to make sure that all those pieces are in place. The things that you think are there are actually there, and then when you need them, you'll have them. Yeah, definitely don't assume that. They know that. I mean, in a lot of cities, the fire department or I guess the police department sometimes too are the ones that are in charge of the um, emergency operations command. But as a water utility director, you know, don't forget if you've done something to your plant recently where maybe the chemicals have changed location or maybe you've added a different chemical to your treatment process. So and that's something that fire needs to know about. Don't make the assumption that everybody knows exactly what you've been up to in the past however many years. And, and make sure to bring everyone together around the table so that everyone is on the same page. And that might just, going back to what Jackie said, you know, if you have a situation where somebody on your team leaves to go to another job or yeah. retires or whatever, like that would be a prime time to redo one of the scenarios and update who's going to do what on the team and who's how are that person's responsibilities going to be spread out to either new people or a new hire or however that would work and who is your backup you know make sure everybody has a backup so you got to have a backup and your backup needs a backup and if you're in it for a week or two you need to have a system of rotation and so Mm -hmm. making sure you have some of that thought out ahead of time will make your job easier when you're really, you know, um, pressed flat and will be having a hard time finding the time to, to do more planning in the middle of something to make things easier on everybody. Well, and I, with any of this crisis stuff, I oftentimes think back to the very first summer of CPC when we had Patrick Swanton up here who was the PIO from, or police sergeant from Waco who went up to West when the Mm -hmm. fertilizer plant exploded Mm -hmm. and he was basically their media relations person just off the cuff drove up there because he sadly most of the first responders had passed away at that point Um, and so um, luckily for them he was very good at it and was able to manage it and did it for a very long period of time um, straight I think it was like 12 or 14 hours straight um, but in those situations having that person that you can right. know that you can call on that's going to be good in front of the camera that's going to be able to answer the questions so you have that in your back pocket so in addition to the crisis it's you know also not thinking about like oh well we got to make somebody camera ready or right. get them yeah. up to speed on what to how to perform yeah yeah, it shouldn't just be the communicators who are getting that media training. You know, there's going to, in a crisis situation, there's going to be more than, especially for a small community, there's gonna, they're going to be looking to more than one person. And like you said, if the, if the crisis is 
a week or however much longer than that, then there needs to be more than one person who's prepared to to step up. Yeah, one of my favorite things, uh, Mike McGill from Water PIO, he had mentioned um, that they had like a title um, versus having a pinpointed like one person. um, And then they had several people that could step in. um, So in the media side of it, um, they just knew they had to contact the such and such titled person and not the actual Mike person. Yeah, right. um, so that was I thought that was really good advice to give to other cities too was having creating that title versus one pinpointed person mm-hmm. that a handful of people could step up at any given time. Mm-hmm. So was there um, before I do my lightning round wrap up questions? They're very intense. Yeah. I, okay. Oh, okay. I was going to ask if you had anything else that you wanted to add. <laughs> we but. told you everything we know. Okay. Okay. So lightning round. Now, what's your favorite book that you're reading right now? Wow. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'll go first. Since I only have one, and I would like to note that Jackie has three. And it, as <laughs> well Actually, as, I'm going to talk about five or six. Uh, yeah. Sorry. She has three and then three more in her head. Um, <laughs> so I know you'll be shocked. It's somebody from UT. Um, okay. I got it this weekend, past weekend. It's called Make Your Bed, Little Things That Can Change Your Life. And it's by Admiral William yes. McRaven, oh, retired. Yeah. Yeah. And it's from his commencement speech. And it's just a short, little, fun leadership. Yeah. Um, how to be the most that you can be every day, Jackie. That's cool. I awesome. He made it um, so, I approve yes, that. that's mine. Giggle yes. That's awesome. I'm reading three. Like, so there's three nerd books that I'm reading um, just about leadership. One's called Fired Up or Burned Out, and it's by Michael Stoller, who's worked here at TCU uh, through our Center for Connection Culture. And he's uh, a wonderful person. And the book kind of talks a bit about how do you build connection culture inside of organizations. So I love that book. The second book is called Crucial Conversations. And uh, the first author, there's several authors, but the first author is, is uh, his last name is Patterson. And it's about how to talk when it's really hard to talk about things. And it just gives you some go-to statements that can help you through tough conversations. And it encourages you to take those steps. I mentioned a book earlier by Suzanne Bates that was uh, published in 2016 called All the Leader You Can Be, which is the science of achieving extraordinary executive presence. And um, can't say enough about that book in terms of helping each person sort of do their own personal professional development wherever they happen to find themselves. And then just for fun, I'm rereading the Harry Potter series right now. So I'm on book four. And I love the fact that it talks about, um, you know, justice and love and and really big values like that, but also what fear does and um, how fear leads to fascism. So I think those are good things for young people to know about. I'm also, uh, I've re just been rereading a book called Americana by uh, Chimamanda Adichie about the immigrant experience here in the United States. Um, and then I'd love to read history just because uh, it gives us perspective on our current time. So I uh, just finished a book uh, on Samuel Pepys or Pepys, P-E-P-Y-S. And um, it's written by Claire Tomlin. She's also written a biography of Jane Austen, which is marvelous. But the Samuel Pepys book, of course, is set in the 1600s. Um, he witnessed the fire that burned London to the ground, wow. and also the the killing of kings and the you know Oliver Cromwell period of about 10 years, and then the restoration of the monarchy. And so it shows us sort of the swings of power and the swings of public opinion, and um, how do you communicate when you don't have phones and all that kind of stuff, and and easy printing presses or things like that or fax machines so um really interesting how he built his network and uh built a base of power uh and i love books like that too wow you really did have have (laughs) (laughs) okay real quick what's something that you do every day that drives your productivity i make my bed (laughs) and i exercise i made my bed every day my whole life didn't take that book to do it I eat three meals a day. <laughs> you sound like me. Yes. I need to be fed. And uh, cookies. Yes. And, uh, uh, cookies are always good. CPC but just uh, like care oh. for self, right? Care for yeah. self. Yes. 
Uh, reading um, is a restorative yeah. act. I, I do yoga two or three times every week. And so mm-hmm. those are things yeah. that um, they don't seem to be productivity things, but they actually are. It's kind of like making your bed. It's right. it's making sure that you're taking care of the small things so that you can actually, when you show up for work, you're working hard. So in our line of work, we've heard people say before, um, what difference does it make if I change? I'm just one person. That's not going to make a difference, which, of course, we disagree. We believe that change can be contagious. So what is the one call to action that you two, and it can be individually or collectively, are most passionate about that you believe could ultimately change the world? Make your bed. No. <laughs> <laughs> the world would be neater if we all made our beds. Um, <laughs> One th- one quote I always go back to, and I believe it um, is from Woody Allen, is that 80% of life is just showing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's really important to show up and be present and be and ready to work hard and listen. Um, so that would be mine. Cool. I think one idea that, that I think is powerful is that um, most of us humans – want to make a difference and um, want to have a sense of belonging. So how can we build workplaces that have those as key ingredients for each person so that each person is valued? I think that collaboration that can result is a very powerful thing. Well, thank you very much. Thank you so much for being with us, ladies. It's been a joy and a full circle moment for us to be here with you. We have so much love and respect for you guys, really, truly. And if you haven't heard about the CPC program, we're going to have information posted on the show notes. Check it out. It's life-changing. These ladies lead it. And, um, yeah, bye. (laughs) Thanks for having us. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Never miss out on future episodes by signing up for the Water Nerd newsletter. Found at the h2duo.com forward slash newsletter. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at the underscore h2duo. We share all of our new episodes there as well as in the newsletter. So whether we come across your feed or in your inbox, be sure to share episodes with your friends, family, colleagues, fellow water nerds. Help us spread the word. We hope you learned something new today, got a little inspired, or did something that brought you one step closer to your goal. Until next time, remember what one of our favorite quotes says, those who tell the stories rule the world.